HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Nam Wa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. This is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. So first, um, a reminder that all of us at Heritage are recording our shows remotely, so if the audio quality is not quite as stellar as normal, I apologize. Um, Nothing is quite like it was a month ago, so, you know, we're all just kind of figuring this out as we go. Um, So since about a week and a half ago, I think it was, when we aired our first Farm Report episode addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, things have unfortunately gotten worse, not better. Uh, And I, I hope you all are staying healthy and safe and sane and far away from each other. This is, it's just a crazy time, and I have been feeling like the least I can do is to try to get you reliable information related to what's happening on farms and throughout the food system in the midst of it all. I I do think that in a moment like this, that questions about how we feed ourselves, whether we're talking about in our local communities, cities, or the country overall... Are more important than ever. So we're just going to keep asking those questions and, and kind of operate in this new realm for now. So today's guests are Noah Robbins and Eduardo Mestre, the founder and COO of vegetable company Arc Foods. And they are together because they are related and they're social distancing together. Guys, thanks for joining me. 
Yeah, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So I, I'm. It's funny, like you know, we're doing everything remotely. You might be for the next few months the only guests I have that are actually in the same place. So this is kind of a, a cool opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, and and you're in Brooklyn, correct? Yeah, we're uh, we're in Brooklyn right now. Um, I am living with my sister and, and brother-in-law and their two kids. Uh, I am the brother-in-law for clarity. Yes, Mr. <laughs> Ed, the brother-in-law. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, since we're family, uh, we're just kind of uh, used to this. And since we work together too, uh, you know, we were just like, let's kill two birds with one stone here and just um, make this our new uh, office slash living situation. <laughs> Right. Like Ed was kind enough to bring me in. (laughs) (laughs) Where is your office uh, usually located? So uh, our office is in Gowanus in Brooklyn. Um, And then we have uh, a a facility, a fresh cut facility where we chop up vegetables in New Jersey, uh, as well as uh, warehouses that we operate the farming products uh, in Immokalee, Florida, as well as Hendersonville, North Carolina, and uh, Vineland, New Jersey. Okay. So I want to talk um, about how the company has been managing the impacts of COVID-19 on the business. But but before we get into that, let's let's get some more background um, before we kind of dive into what's happening right now. Because I, I don't really know a lot about ARC Foods. It seems like a unique model for a company that you, I think you're growing vegetables, but you're also doing packaged foods. Um Noah, I know you're the founder. Can you want to do you want to just sort of talk about the origins and what the company actually looks like? Yeah, sure. Um, so to give you a little bit of back, uh, background, um, my dad was actually a citrus farmer. So I grew up around ag. Um, and when I graduated college, I saw that the average age of a farmer was 58. And I thought that, you know, um, I didn't love permanent crops or I wasn't as enamored with permanent crops. Um, my dad wasn't as happy that uh, I didn't want to go into citrus, but um, <laughs> so I, I, I loved the idea and I thought that there was a ton of opportunity with just, you know, applying these farmers market vegetables and, and making them as accessible as possible through commercial growing techniques. Um, so what does that mean, right? Like you, you basically, you know, the first product or vegetable, right, that I thought of applying this, you know, technique to was, was the shishito pepper. So I started just growing on my own three acres. Um, right. Uh, you know, I didn't raise venture money at first, right. It was just a straight, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, as my dad would say, no, I think you could shut up and try to sell some peppers. So, uh, I bought, uh, you know, some dirt, started farming and basically, uh, you know, the first claim to fame was, you know, we, we basically built that market. Um, so, you know, we're the largest grower of shishitos in the United States and Mexico. Uh, so in wow. the world right now. Um, and, you know, we, through that, uh, because we're vertically integrated, we've developed like techniques of like building trends and building different things. So, you know, we're, we're in a sense, a modern day farming company and we view the vegetable as a North star. And we always try to make these, these products, through vegetables as accessible as humanly possible. That's always just our North Star, right? You know, I want people all around the United States um, to have the same experience that they would at a high-end restaurant, right? I want them to be able to take that vegetable home and have 
an affordable, unique experience with it. So through that, what, what ended up happening was, you know, uh, this meal kit space started to boom. And because we grew uh, all of these unique vegetables, you know, they started to come to us saying, hey, like, we want you to grow this product for our box, right? And, and all of these oh. consumers started to, you know, this boom started to happen. Um, and through that, I started thinking, well, you know, um, how else can I feed people, you know, different types of vegetables through, through other formats? So about a year and a half ago, I decided to um, open up our own fresh cut facility. And, and that's kind of how we launched the veggie bowl. So I was thinking, you know, the meal kit space, I didn't really, you know, think that that was necessarily the model for us. But how do I, you know, come up with a, a fresh, healthy, indulgent, you know, plant-based version of a of like a, you know, uh, like a healthy experience, right? So we came up with, you know, as a base, we use like cauliflower uh, and rutabaga. Um, so rutabaga, again, we are all about the underdog vegetables. So uh, rutabaga was like really popular in the 70s and 80s uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. got it microwaved really well. So what we do is, you know, we bring it into our warehouse, we make it a uh, like a veggie spaghetti out of the rutabaga and we pair it with a sauce that we also make because what we ended up seeing was there weren't a lot of like clean ingredient uh, sauce companies. So, you know, the approach I always take is nothing is as hard as farming. <laughs> what you'll laugh right. at when we're dealing with. So Rafa, my nephew just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, what we... You know, what I found was since nothing is as hard as farming and because we're vertically integrated, we ended up, you know, making clean ingredient sauces that pair with all the products that we make. So, you know, the, the heat and eat veggie line, the veggie bowl line ended up happening through, you know, starting at the farm. And that's how we always think about products. So, you know, if you look at what our company will be like in five years, right, like or I hope, um, it would look like, you know, let's say we have a really cool sweet potato variety, right? That is uh, higher in antioxidants. It's, uh, you know, uh, just a better experience or, or a different experience. It doesn't need to be better. It's just a, you know, one that, that everyone wants to experience, right? So I would be able to grow it on our farms and make it, you know, uh, as affordable as possible, right? So, so that it competes with a normal sweet potato or a normal potato. And then I would also, you know, I'd service all the food service distributors, right? All the restaurants. So they're putting it on their menus. I would promote vegetable creativity through going to our retailers and saying, you know, uh, allowing customers to take that potato home, right? And they mm-hmm. use use it, use kind of what, however they would want to um, and kind of bake it or, or chop it up. And then I would also have this really unique line where I would take the potato that we would grow and I bring it into my fresh cut facilities and make it like a crinkle cut French fry or a sweet potato noodle. Um, then from the scraps, I would, you know, make a, a flour or I would use that in a sauce that we make. So kind of all leading and then eventually maybe chips or something. So it all leads to, to making sure that the vegetable is your North Star and then getting people to eat it in, in as many different formats as possible. Got it. Um, I, I mean, it's a lot. It's like you're you're doing a lot of different things all in one in one company. Um, and so, 
and you're so you're growing these vegetables are you growing all of the ingredients that are in those like veggie bowls for instance or do you also like source from other farms to to make the actual packaged foods no so the so the cauliflower and rutabaga we work with farmers on so just like a you know a contracted price or a, a price that you know obviously allows them to to do well and us to do well um but because we, you know, started from the farming side, we we've developed great relationships with everyone just because of the, you know, family oriented business that we I started this with. Um, on the shishitos and the peppers, all the different unique peppers and the tomatoes that we're launching, um, you know, those we grow ourselves. Uh, okay. And the reason why we we did that was, you know, we we one thought, um, you know. Right now, we we could never compete with, and we can't grow as well as as you know a lot of people that have been growing cauliflower for all their lives. Right, it would be a whole new process. And I kind of thought that you know the whole line itself was so complex that I should leave it to the farmers that do it best. Um, mm-hmm. You know, eventually, if there's something that I think we should grow, like like the potato variety or something like that, um, we would we would venture into that. Um, but you always know where you're where your food comes from. That's, that's obviously, you know, super important to us. Um, the ingredients for the, for the sauce, because, you know, we make it, uh, you know, that, you know, is, uh, is all sourced uh, from people that we know and, and, and that we like and we stand by. Right. And, and so then the vegetables you grow, um, some of them are being used to create these veggie bowls and, and things you're selling, um, and retail, but then you also just sell those vegetables wholesale. Is that right? Like the peppers? Yeah. So the, so the peppers, for instance, we sell to, you know, retailers like Walmart and Whole Foods. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, as well as, you know, wholesalers like, uh, you know, like cost, like fresh point. Um, so it really, it really varies. Um, and because, you know, the Shishido started off as a food service item, um, it's allowed us to kind of grow other varieties and, and launch in many different ways, right? So we grow jalapenos, poblanos, uh, purple bell peppers, serranos, um, shishitos, red fresnos, which is the key ingredient to sriracha. Uh, um, so, uh, we, we grow a honey nut squash, which was a Dan Barber and Michael Michael Mazarin variety uh, that we are, I think, are one of the largest growers of as well. We've been growing that for mm. a long time. Um, trying to make that as accessible as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really it really varies as to what we grow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's been it's been a, a unique mix. Absolutely. Um, and I, let me just say that uh, Michael Mazarek was actually a guest on the Farm Report last year. Um, so if anyone's interested in hearing more about the honey nut squash, um, you can go back and listen to that episode. Um, so. I think we should take a quick break. Um, and then when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about um, how all of this, what you normally do, relates to what's happening at this moment in time. We'll be right back. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers. 
support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Okay, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Noah and Ed from Arc Foods, and we're talking about how they grow specialty vegetables, um, sell them to wholesalers, create veggie bowls, all kinds of things. Um, So we were kind of talking about life in its normal capacity before the break, and I want to get into a little how things have shifted um, since the coronavirus outbreak. Um, Ed, I think you've been managing a lot of the um, sort of logistical issues. Um, How did you first start to feel the impacts of COVID-19? Like what was, what was the first kind of alarm bell that went off that said, Oh, we're going to have to adjust how we do things. Well, I think. Sure. Go ahead. So, uh, I mean, besides just the broader news out there, I think where we started first noticing it from a business standpoint was uh, a lot of our wholesalers in a matter of just you know a week, some, uh, some of our most reliable customers who we've serviced year after year <laughs> with large volumes of all our specialty vegetables that we grow uh, simply stopped ordering. Uh, and it was uh, pretty sudden, pretty drastic. Um, but yeah, a lot of these, uh, you know, major companies that supply, uh, restaurants and, and food service distributors, uh, and, and all these guys, they just simply stopped ordering. Um, and meanwhile, what we saw on the other side of the business was, uh, for our retail business. And that's all of the supermarket customers that, uh, that Noah had mentioned before folks like Walmart and Whole Foods and Costco, you know, we immediately saw drastic order spikes on that side of the business. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, everything that you could see play out in the news with a lot of the, you know, the panic shopping and, and consumers just filling up, uh, uh, you know, filling up their grocery carts and just loading up uh, to ride this thing out. You know, we were able to immediately see that just in terms of what our own customers were starting to order. And so I think that was sort of the, the first sign. Uh, and it happened very, you know, very fast. Probably in a, I would, I would yeah. shrink that time and say like a day. <laughs> in like a couple, yeah. yeah. In, a, in a couple days. And that was sort of the, the, the wow, you know, a, alarm bells that, Hey, this thing is, is for real. And, and we need to, you know, start thinking about, uh, what to do and how to service our customers and how to, how to continue getting vegetables to, you know, uh, to consumers all over the country. I think yeah. So, so, go, ahead. go ahead, Noah. Sorry. <laughs> I think I think what really um, hit me hard was, uh, you know, I had this realization of you know, when restaurants shut down. I started thinking, you know, obviously restaurants are are insanely important, right? And and I I just started thinking to myself, okay, uh, restaurants are going to shut down, therefore food service distributors shut down. Like, how do I how do I make sure this doesn't um, dramatically affect our our family right uh you know and mm-hmm. family as in the arc food family of course right you know um 
and and I think obviously you, you see a lot of news about um, restaurants and hotels and all of that. Stuff. But what you don't think about necessarily is, you know, um, it, 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 it dramatically affects, you know, the, the truck drivers that are hauling our product, the, the our harvesting labor that we pay every day, you know, the, right. the insanely hard work that they do to, to make sure that everyone has, uh, you know, vegetables. Uh, and it seems like such a simple concept, but when you really think about it, 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 it doesn't just affect a restaurant, right? I, I know that restaurants are obviously hurting and food service distributors as well, but it also hurts the, the, the backbone of, of, you know, farming. Um, and it really right. hurts, you know, harvesting labor and, yeah. and, and everything like that. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And we, you know, being this vertically integrated modern day farming company, we, you know, we have this unique vantage point where we kind of see the whole food chain from, you know, from start to finish, right? And, you know, restaurants may close down and, and you know, we really see the ripple effects uh, all the way down to, uh, you know, the harvesters and the truck drivers, like Noah was saying, even the, uh, the greenhouses where we send our, you know, seeds to have uh, the initial seedlings of our plants grown, like we've even seen some of them calling us up, you know, being panicked that farmers are starting to pull uh, orders of future plants for summer plantings. And you're really just starting to see the, you know, just starting to see some of the ripple effects of this thing. And it's, uh, it's just been crazy. It's pretty scary. Right. Well, and I'd imagine there's sort of a, a on the worker side, there's a tension because on one hand, like you, well, on one hand, you really need the workers to keep harvesting and getting this food to people, right? You want to take care of them and protect them because they're in danger of, you know, getting sick too. But, you know, a lot of workers want to work because they don't want to be, you know, they, they want to come to work. They want to be making money. And, and there's, there's just a lot, like, how have you managed like worker safety while also, you know, keeping people at work? Like what, what does that look like? Sure. That's a, that's a great question. And it's a, a really, you know, difficult balancing act, like you said, uh, you know, how to keep people coming to work, but also keep them safe. Uh, I mean, we've followed every protocol and taken every precaution. We feel that we, you know, humanly can from uh, everything from, um, you know, ordering new supplies and gloves and, uh, you know, masks and sanitizers and cleaning and cleaning schedules and new stipulations about uh, employee schedules and keeping distances and mandatory pauses in, you know, repacks and production for, uh, you know, for hand washings and wash downs and things like that, uh, as well as just, uh, rot- you know, rotating workers as best we, you know, as best we can. So everyone's not working at the same time. Uh, and we're, you know, doing everything we can. Uh, and, uh, you know, other things we're doing include, uh, you know, when employees uh, walk in, you know, walk in the door, doing a health check and a temperature scan and uh, mm-hmm. overly communicating, you know, about uh, everyone taking every precaution we, you know, we humanly can. Incentivizing what, people to stay home, like, you know, like. Yeah, of course. Right. Covering sick leave. I mean, it's a, it's, these are unprecedented times and it's definitely a little bit of, uh, you know, w- what is, you uh, you know, we ask ourselves every day, kind of what else can we do? And what are we not, you know, what are we not doing? It's, it's less of a, you know, which of these safety precautions and, and, uh, and things can we do and more just, we ask ourselves sort of what else can we do? And we, you know, in all honesty, try and do everything we, you know, 
can in our power to keep everyone safe uh, and and keep them working. Uh, not only because it's important for you know for them and for their own well being, but also because we know that we are making food. And uh, I think one of the things that this crisis has really you know taught us is that there are some core important things that we all need day to day to survive. And I think you know we're reminded every day that. You know, food, food is you know at the at the top of that list, and it's you know we have right. a broader duty not only to our uh, our employees and our and ourselves, but also just to you know people who need to keep eating you know keep eating this food uh, while they are hunkered away at home. And so uh, it's a tough balancing act, and we 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 try to do everything in our in our capacity to um, you know keep everyone safe, but also uh, keep the vegetables coming, and it's tough. Yeah, if, if we, right. you know, if we have truck space, uh, you know, every time we have any truck space available, we donate as much as humanly possible to places that are mm -hmm. that are taking in vegetables. Right? Not every, uh, you know, uh, you know, food pantry or, or necessarily has the availability of, of keeping vegetables refrigerated. So we have to find the ones that that can take that in. Right? City Harvest has been um, a great partner where uh, you know we've just been giving them as much as we humanly can. Um, you know, mm. there's, there's never enough, put it that way. Um, yeah. You can, you can do as much as you can and you still will not have done nearly enough. Um, and, you know, I think that's just always how we've been. Um, and I think we're just doing everything we possibly can to help out. Right. Uh, you know, like little things that you think about are just, that are normal, uh, you know, have to change like harvesting peppers, right? Uh, people are normally together when harvesting peppers, right? It seems like such a simple task, but social distancing, right? We want our harvesters to stay safe. So how do you pick, pick peppers effectively and, and safely? Um, you know, it, it, like planting your transplants from the seed house, making sure that planting schedules are, are maintaining momentum or it's really just a, a ton of nuanced things that never stops. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and and in order to keep the wheels on the bus, you just have to work twenty four seven, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, and remotely too, which makes it difficult, right? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, um, you know, it's very it's very strange. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. What about what about the shift um, with your customers? Like in terms of shifting from you know, all these people you were selling vegetables to that are now shut down, like restaurants and institutions and re but the demand for uh, vegetables on the retail side has gone up. How difficult, like how difficult is it to kind of just switch where you're sending things? Has that been possible to do? Or is it not that simple to just say like, oh, we'll just move this food to a different outlet, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I mean, nothing is ever as simple as sort of you know snapping your fingers and suddenly <laughs> you know, truckloads and truckloads of vegetables wind up in a new place, right? Uh, right. You know, a lot of complexity. I mean, one example I can give you is we've, um, you know, we've been a long time uh, vendor of Costco, and they've uh, brought in our shishito peppers, uh, you know. Uh, into their uh, into a lot of their locations in the Northeast early on, and then you know as I'm sure you've seen in the news, there have just been these you know runs on Costco, and so uh, orders from them we've seen surge you know four to five x what they usually are on a weekly basis, and you know so in order to, to fulfill that, that's required everything from you know bringing in 
uh, new packaging to, uh, you know, bringing in additional labor to high, you know, uh, new mm-hmm. trucks. I mean, it literally takes just sort of all the, the wheels of the, the food chain you know, turning you know, much faster in order to, you know, to make that happen. And, uh, you know, thankfully we have a, a great team and a nimble team who's really been sort of working overtime to, um, you know, to make that happen and make sure that, uh, you know, consumers can w- walk into a Costco and, and, and stock up on peppers and fill their pantries at home. So, you know, lots and lots of examples like that. And we've had to, I think, think on our, on our toes every single day. And we kind of the joke internally recently has been that, uh, you know, in a sense, almost every single day, we need to reinvent the way that we do business. <laughs> and uh, it takes definitely a lot of mental juggling, a lot of a lot of work, a lot of logistics to piece it all together. But the landscape is just changing so fast that we really have to be kind of on our toes to think through how to you know shift that production around and service new customers. I could also add that, you know, it's it's not as though we we've never had these partnerships uh, before with, with, with all of our customers. So, you know, uh, we've always just done, uh, you know, we've always worked hard at at making sure that our relationships were, were strong, right? If they needed something, we were always there. If, If I needed something, they were trying to help, you know, it's, you know, because farming is just so difficult. Um, like we've, we've, we've had a hurricane, right? Irma, Irma happened. Uh-huh. We had to deal with that. <laughs> a freeze happened. We had to deal with that. You know, so so farming is just it creates a community of just shit happens. <laughs> Excuse my life. Right. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> you know, this is just yeah. this is just another thing. <laughs> um, and it's a horrible thing, but you know, we're so used to working together in, in the fresh produce industry in general that it 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 really creates a sense of community. Now I can say we're 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 truly lucky in the sense that we're diversified, right? Um, we yeah. have so many different things going on. That if one falls, uh, you know, we have a lot of other uh, pillars to to keep keep the company up. I I can't say that for everyone, and it, it's been really tough to see. I mean, um, mm-hmm. you know, there are farms that strictly deal with with food service. There are farmers markets, right? There are tons of farmers that are fantastic that need all the help they can get and obviously right. we're trying to do everything we humanly can to, to help everyone out um and everyone has been right it's it's a re- it's a really close-knit community it's it's there are not that many you know uh farmers in general in the united states um and and you know we need more of them um and i think you know everyone's talking everyone's trying to help out each other uh you know and you just you really need to to get together and 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 talk. Um, so I, I can say that it's really been you know a fight. Uh, every day has been a fight, but but because we've had uh, you know bacteria all over the plants and our yield went from a pound per plant to nothing, or uh, you know Irma happened and wiped off seventy five percent of our crop. Uh, We've had a freeze disaster. You know, I, I grew mm-hmm. up dealing with a citrus, uh, you know, dealing with my dad saying, you know, hey, guess what? We just lost all of our crop to a freeze. Uh, you know, we had mm-hmm. three million boxes that are no longer in existence. You know, it just because I'm so used to the uphill battle that that is farming at its crux. Um, this is just another fight. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I mean, farming is a is probably the most unpredictable business you can possibly be in, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's it it a lot like it feeds people, right? At the end of the day, like the first plant based you know movement was was you know you can't be more plant based than vegetables, right? It it, <laughs> it uh, you know it, it's really the crux of of so many things in my opinion, and and it's why it it's just it fascinates me. Right, right. Well, and so in in some ways, this is, you know, sort of just another challenge to get through. And then in other ways, it's really unprecedented. Um, How do you think that this scenario you're in right now is going to affect the way you farm or run the company over the long term? Like, do you think things will just go back to the normal course of business when this is all over? Or will you be thinking differently about the future? Um, so, I mean, one thing that was, that's kind of strange for us is, uh, in a matter of weeks, I, or uh, actually one week, I think next week we'll be launching, uh, Ed has spearheaded like an e-commerce site. (laughs) So you could actually, you'll be able to buy the vegetables straight from our website, (laughs) from our farm, right. You'll be able to Mm -hmm. buy the vegetables. So, so that's not something I was ever necessarily interested in, in really doing. But we've gotten a lot of emails uh, and, and just kind of felt like, uh, okay, well, uh, you know, I guess we're launching an e-commerce site. Um, and if you want to talk yeah, a little bit I about mean, that. It's funny because we have all these, you know, long-term plans of what we want to do with the business. And, and e-commerce was on there, sort of a, a one to two year type of initiative. <laughs> and, you know, we just got there last week and said, well, can we do this in one to two weeks? Uh, and so, you know basically saying, Hey, can we uh, launch a, you know, fresh produce e-commerce business in about a, you know, in the span of about 10 days. And so we're about halfway through that and kind of on and actually incredibly on track to do that. Uh, And I Mm. think just this crisis has, you know, the one uh, positive that has come out, it has come out of it is that it's really, you know, helped us to just accelerate things that otherwise would have been a little bit uh, slower, taken longer and really helped us uh, think about what matters and, 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 uh, and kind of reinvent things like we were saying before on a day, on a day-to-day basis. You know, we don't really know exactly what the future holds or how long this thing will last. Uh, obviously we can't imagine that uh, as soon as people come out of their homes, that they're all going to bull rush to the nearest stadium or concert or large restaurant. I think, uh, you know, behavior yeah. and the way people eat will have fundamentally changed on some level or if not it will take some you know some time to get back to what normal life quote unquote used to look like uh but you know i think we're just you know we're, we're not um we're not drastically cutting back production or doing anything wildly different from uh what we have in the past you know we we make vegetables and whatever the future may hold people will still need to eat vegetables in some form or another where and how they do that will, you know, will change and will evolve, um, you know, given this crisis. But, um, you know, I could see a world where in the future, you know, where we sell our vegetables and how we package them and things like that is going to change. But, uh, you know, uh, despite (laughs) all the crazy news out there, you know, we are optimistic that one day we'll wake up out of this thing and people will still need to eat fresh vegetables. It's the most fundamental human thing. And, you know, because of that, uh, we're not, uh, we're not drastically changing uh, what we do just a little bit how we do it. Yeah. And I think to, to add to that, 
I mean, you know, uh, to go back to what I said, you know, because we view the vegetable as the North Star and, and we're really stressing on, you know, uh, accessibility of, of vegetables and different types. And, and, you know, we stay, we, we stay true to that mantra. And I think because of that, you know, no matter w- what the economy does or, or what, what people do, you know, they'll, they'll always want unique experiences, I believe, right? Um, it's just a matter of where they go for them. Right. Just have to keep keep kind of adjusting as we go, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Noah, Ed, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your experiences. Um, I know things are, are a little crazy right now, so I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having us and, and great chatting. Thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week. Take care. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.